may be seated, and all the children may come forward. Today is Family Sunday, the first Sunday of the month, and it's always a favorite time for everybody as the kids are here and remind us of what it means to be God's family, and also what it means to be childlike, and what it means to be children of God. So we've got a great assortment here of children, we've got a great assortment here of sizes, We've got a great assortment here of ages, and we have a great assortment here of people who have very special abilities and very special gifts. And so I have something here to sort of show us what it means to have a different gift. Um, What is this? It's a toolbox. And what do you think is in there? Tools. Tools. Yeah, what a a surprise, right? Okay, so let's say that I want to do something. um, What is this? It's a nail, okay? And uh, what is this? It's a screw, okay? And what is this? It's another screw, okay? So we've got three different things here, all right? So we've got to open it up and then see. Now, what do I need? What do I A hammer? If I want to do what? If I want to knock the nail into something. Let's say I'm building something. And I, I need to put the hammer to the nail and hit it really hard, right? So I need something like a hammer. Now, suppose I want to make something after I put together some wood. Let's say I made a shelf, and I want to make the wood nice and smooth. What do I need? No? Sandpaper, all right? So sometimes you need sandpaper. And, and so I need to make the sand, use the sandpaper to make the wood nice and smooth. Okay, now... Now I'm building something else, and um, I need this, this. That's the screw, right? What do I use to put a screw into my wood? A screwdriver, all right? So I have a screwdriver here, and that works. Now I'm building something even bigger, and I have even a bigger screw. So what do I need? What do I need? An electric screwdriver? Nope, that won't work for this one, all right? What do I need? You know what I need? This one's different. This one is I need a wrench, okay? I need a drill, a big hole, and then I need a wrench to put it in there. Well, you know what? All of us are sort of like this in different ways. All of us are like different tools. It's like the church is God's toolbox, and we all have different abilities. Some of us are like the wrench. Some of us are like the screwdriver. Some of us are like the sandpaper. Some of us are like the hammer. All of us have different abilities. All of us have special ways to help each other. And the Bible talks about that in a book called 1 Corinthians. Can you say that with me? 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. So what verses? 12 four through six. And what book? First Corinthians. Let's put it all together. First Corinthians 12, four through six. Very good. Okay, let's all read it together. Moms and dads as well. Here we go. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but the God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. So God gives 
all of us by his spirit to live in us special abilities. It doesn't matter how big we are. It doesn't matter how little we are. Now, I have glasses. I wear glasses or I can't see, all right? And sometimes my glasses get loose and there's a screw, a little screw here that, that gets, needs to be tightened up. Do you think that I would use this screwdriver? No. Do you think I would use this wrench? Oh, 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 did I kill you? Oh, my gosh. So sorry. That wasn't planned. Oh, that wasn't planned. Okay, good. We have a lot of doctors in our church. <laughs> All right. Um, what was it? That's, that's what happens when you don't wear your glasses. Oh, my gosh. All right. Good thing I didn't lose this. Oh. Would I use the hammer? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. What would I need is... I better put my glasses on for this one. All right. I would need this itty-bitty little screwdriver, right? Ah, isn't that itty-bitty? That is a little screwdriver. Now, you know what? Some of you may feel like you're just a little screwdriver. You know, some of you may feel like you're just too small to do anything. But you know how important it is to see? That's how important you are. You are so important in our church. You are so important in your family. You're so important at school as God's tool to help other people see God, to help other people see how much God loves you and how much God loves them. And you can serve at church. You can do big things to help other people, to learn the word of God. There are different gifts. Some people got gifts of teaching. Some of you have gifts of singing. All of us have a gift of being able to help. And all of us have the gift of being able to obey. And so as we go out into the world, as we go out into our church, I want you to all stand up, kids, and turn around. Turn around. And you know what? Out there, those are all living tools. That, all those people there, your moms, your dads, your aunts, your uncles, all these big old people, right? They're all God's tools. I want you to tell them that. Say, you're God's tool. You're God's tool. And you are good. To serve God. You're God's toolbox. Do you believe me? Oh, we better ask them again. Do you believe me? Amen. All right. Well, we're going to um, dis dismiss you now. And um, the youngest ones are going in which direction? The kindergarten? Go straight down the middle. So pre-K and K, straight down the middle with Cat and Albert. Auntie Cat and Uncle Albert. And then first to third grade, Uncle Glenn, out in that exit to the right. And fourth through sixth grade. Fourth through sixth grade are going... With Auntie Sammy, same direction. All right, let me ask uh, us adults to stand up and greet one another. Easter. What did Easter do? Of course... We're very familiar with what we celebrated last week on the resurrection of Jesus. Easter brought about new life. It brought about the hope 
that no matter what we've done, God can and will forgive us. It brought about the promise that no matter what has died, God can bring it back to life. It also brought a new revolution upon the earth. It also brought a new family in this world. It also brought a new way of looking at community in a way that the world had never seen before and is continuing to today. Easter was the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. It was the opportunity for you and for me to participate in something so different that it would change the world. And so for the next five weeks, we want to be talking about what happened after Jesus rose from the dead. And what did that mean to the people who were following him? What does it mean to have a community of people who believe in a resurrected Lord? What does it mean to have a Christ-centered community? That's what we're going to be focusing on today and for these five weeks. About what it is to truly be Christ-centered people. You know, the first Christians never went to church. The first Christians, this early group of believers, they would never say, you know what, let's go to church. Well, of course, they were going to the temple, right? But they would never say, let's go to temple, right? They were the temple. We are the temple of God. We are God's church. We are God's community. We need to be alive to that. And the only way we can do that is with the Holy Spirit working in us and our willingness to let the Spirit use us, fill us, teach us, and guide us. If you look in your outlines, we're going to begin by looking at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 42 through 47. And so if you would open up your Bible or look at your outline, would you read it out loud with me? Let's begin. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There were maybe a few hundred believers at this time, maybe about 500 believers as the beginning of the church. And then Peter went out and he preached. And this is the context for the verses that we're looking at today. Peter has been preaching to a people, and they've been listening to his sermon. And so we need to look at this con context because it helps us to see a contrast between a community that is in the world, the kind that we would see outside the doors of this place, and the kind of community that God wants us to have to take out of the doors into the world. And so we have to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 41. And I'll read it, and you can just follow along. It should be up on the screen behind me. Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people turned their lives over to Jesus that day. And Peter had ended his sermon with these words, Save yourselves. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The word corrupt, it means crooked or curved. It's the word in Greek, scoliosis, and from which we get our word scoliosis, all right? And that's the curvature of the spine. And it is what we see in the world around us, a corrupt world. Now, now that wouldn't be very politically correct. But as I've been watching the news over the last year, we live in a corrupt world. As I've been watching the political debates, we live in a corrupt world. As I listen to what's happening in the news, in communities, even in our own, I see a lot of corruption, and you do too. The message version translates this verse at the end of verse 40. It says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation in the New National Version. But the message version says it this way, get out while you can. Get out of this sick and stupid culture. That's a tough words and, you know, again, not, not very politically sensitive. But would you not agree with me that we live in a sick and stupid culture in many ways? And sometimes we just want to get out. You say, well, gosh, you know, that's kind of rough words, right? I mean, is this really what we're supposed to do today? I mean, this was 2,000 years ago in Peter preaching. Is this what we're supposed to do today? And I say, yes. I say yes to our youth because it's the greatest opportunity that you have. The darker it gets, the brighter your light can be. This is an opportunity for all of us to do something to change our world. You know, there's so much going on in our world that, that we enjoy, like especially technology. And one of the leaders of technology we know is, is Apple Corporation. And when Apple was beginning, Steve Jobs was trying to find the best people to work for his fledgling company. And so he went to a friend named John Scully, who was an executive at Pepsi. And of course, Pepsi was going to be a successful company then. It is now. And John Scully had an, a great job making lots of money in a company that had a secure future. And why would he want to join this little company called Apple that hadn't done anything big yet? But Steve Jobs had a picture of what would happen with his company. And these are the words that, that John Scully testifies that, that Steve said to him when he challenged him to join him, to leave his good job, to leave his world at Pepsi and join this new little world called Apple. And Steve Jobs said to him, do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life or do you want to come with me and change the world? So do you want to sell sugar water? Do you want a sugar-coated life? Do you want a sugar-coated life the rest of your existence? 
Or do you want to change the world? What's a sugar-coated life? It's just a comfortable life. A life that doesn't have to risk. A life that can just make money and be happy and just go on without any kind of conflict. And Jesus didn't call us to a sugar-coated life. He called us to change the world. And the world is a corrupt place. And Jesus knew it. But the moment we became Christians, Jesus didn't take us out of the world. He left us here. Why? Why? To change it. In in John chapter 17, verses 15 and 17, Jesus said, as he prayed to the Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from Satan's power. Make them pure and holy through teaching them your words of truth. It is the words of truth that God's going to use to make us holy, to change this world, to change our lives from the inside out. And so as we look at Acts, this is exactly what they were doing, the churches they began. And this is what we will do if we want to be a Christ-centered community. The first thing we will do is we will take in and live out God's word. We will take in and live out God's word. What we see in verse 42, the first few words are these, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles were teaching about the love and the life and the truth of Jesus Christ. Today, the apostles' teaching is what we call the New Testament. It is God's word to us. But it's not just words that we read so that we might have head knowledge, but rather they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Sometimes it's translated to sound doctrine. God wants us to each have sound doctrine. Now, that sounds sort of theological, but really it's not. What it means is that we have life-living, life-giving truth within us. This is the power of God's word within us. To give us strength. To give us courage. To live within us. And so these disciples, these early Christians, they were devoted, the Bible says, they were devoted to this. The word devoted is, is actually two words in the Greek put together. It means forward plus direction. They were moving in a forward direction with the power of God's word. And that's what we want to do in our lives. We want to move forward with God's word in our life. God's word is powerful. In Romans 12, verse 2, the Bible says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's word is how we learn to know God's will. If you ever wonder, like, what should I do? Or you're wondering, how should I make this decision? Or where should I go in, in my life? The answer is found in God's will. Well, how do we know God's will? We learn God's word. And what does God's word do with us? It it helps us to be transformed. And that word is the word metamorphosis. It helps us to be changed into a whole new being. 
to be freed to live the way God wants us to live, to be renewed, and that word means to be renovated, that God wants to renovate our souls. He wants to take us the way we are. He loves us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. And he wants us to continue to change and to be renewed, and he's going to do it through his word. How powerful is God's word? It is alive. Martin Luther said this, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold on me. Have you ever felt that way about God's word? Have you ever felt that way that the word of God just speaks to you? Have you ever felt like the word of God has feet and that it runs after you? Have you ever thought that the word of God actually has hands and it lays hold on you? Well, you know, that won't happen unless you also go to the word of God. You know, the Bible is sitting on your shelf or in your phone. And it's not going to do you any good there. Until you run to it. Until you lay hold of it. Until you read it. And then it has the power to do all of that in us and more. To change us from the inside out. There's so much opportunity we have to read God's word. Almost never are we out of place to be able to receive the word of God, especially with technology. There's, there's four websites that are, in, um, well, two websites and two apps that I want to bring to your attention. And the first one is walkthrough.org, walkthrough.org. And there you can get free resources for daily devotions. And we actually have some on the back table we have Walk Through the Bible devotionals on the back table, so you can pick up those. But you can go to walkthrough.org and you can get free Bible devotions there. You can go to crosswalk.com and go to the devotion section, and they've got a, over a dozen free devotionals there. And you can sign up and they can send you emails or alerts so that you'll get them every day. And then there's two apps that are just wonderful the YouVersion Bible app and the Bible Gateway app. And it'll, it'll read to you different versions of the Bible if you want it to. It has a way for you to set up a reading plan. And so I want to give you permission now to use your phones. All right? So if I see you looking down, I, I don't play games, don't go to Facebook, and don't order anything on Amazon. All right? Um, but you can open up your phones. You can look at these. And if you don't have the app, you can download it now on your phone if you want. You can set an alarm on your phone if you want because you're going to read God's word. So go ahead. You can do that for the rest of the sermon. But we will take in and live out God's word. If that's all you get today, I'm happy if you'll read God's word. But secondly, all right, what did they do? They were in fellowship, the Bible tells us. They were in fellowship at the end of verse 42, and then in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Gave to anyone as he had need. They were in fellowship. We will share our lives in open fellowship. This was more than socializing. This was more than just having religious meetings. This word fellowship, it's a beautiful Greek word called koinonia. And it means having in common. And these people were sharing their lives in common with each other. 
In the book of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 3, John writes these words. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The two belong together. We grow closer to God when we grow closer to each other. We grow closer to each other when we grow closer to God. God wants us to know that he knows us, and he wants us to know him, to really, really know him. Now, there are places in our lives where we really want to be known, and there are places in our lives where we really don't want to be known, right? Like, you know, um, when I, I don't want to be known uh, by a doctor too much, except our doctor friends here, right? I don't want to have to go to the doctor so much that the doctor knows me so well. You know, I, when I call my auto shop, this is really sad. Um, I call my auto shop, I go, and they go, hello, and I go, hello. And before I can say the next word, she'll go, the lady will go, oh, hi, Curtis. You know, how are you doing? I, oh, my gosh, the auto shop lady knows me so well. All I have to say is, hello, she hears my voice. She goes, hey, Curtis, how are you doing? You know, there's certain places where you just don't want to be known. But then there are other places where you do want to be known. All right? Like, um, like yesterday, I forgot, I left my phone at the gym. And so, you know, I, I went back to the gym to go pick it up. I walk into the gym, and the lady goes, hey, Curtis. I go, All right. I go to the gym enough that they know me by name. And I go, hey, you know, I, I, I left my phone here. She goes, what kind? I said, oh, it's this kind, you know, cheapo phone. And, um, and, and she goes, well, does it have a lock on it? And I go, yeah, it has a lock on it. She goes, okay, show me. Unlock it. And so I'm thinking, but you, you know me, right? You know me. You know my face. She goes, hey, Curtis, you know, it's my phone, right? You know me. She goes, no, unlock it. Prove to me it's your phone. So I unlock it and prove to her it's my phone. I get my phone back. And I realize she knows me, but she didn't trust me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Now, people know us, but they may not trust us, right? Last week, we had some visitors here at church who, who, um, who don't live here, and so we had dinner with them this week, and, and we, the last time we saw them was back in December. And so they have a little girl, and I was talking to her, and I said, hi, remember me? And she goes, I, I know your face. And she didn't know my name. Well, we know each other's face. We may know each other's name, but do we know each other? Do we really know each other? How many of you want to be loved just the way you are? Okay, if you don't, I, I, you know, then just, I hope you have hope. All right. We all want to be loved just the way we are, right? Well, how can we be loved just the way we are if we aren't just the way we are? with each other. Let me say that again. How can we be loved just the way we are if we aren't just the way we are with each other? If we pretend that everything's okay, if we wear masks and say, you know, I'm good, when inside I'm not good. When somebody says, can, you have any needs? You go, oh no, but would you pray for my neighbor? But we have deep needs. How can we be loved just the way we are unless we are truly honest with each other and show other people who we really are? Well, 
that's so much of what this series is about. That the people, when the church began, when Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, he gave people the power to be free, to be free enough to be just the way they are with each other, to help each other. And so we see this in this scripture. They had everything in common. They had open hands. This is how we share with each other. We begin by having open hands, by helping one another. There's this wonderful story in the Gospel of Mark. We just finished the Gospel of Mark, but it was a long time ago we looked at this story. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. And this is a story. Jesus is teaching, and he's at a home. He's in his home city of Capernaum. And some men come, and they said, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. After digging through it, lowered the mat, and the paralyzed man was lying on it. So these four friends brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus, and they couldn't get to him because there's so many people wanting to be healed. So they go up on the steps around, they go through the top, and they get on this flat roof and they break through the roof and they lower their friends down on the mat. They help him. We can be one of those four people to help others, to give a hand. Sometimes we are that man on the mat. Sometimes we are that man on the mat. In a book called Jesus, a pilgrimage uh, by a man who's actually a Jesuit priest. His name is James Martin. He says this. He says, often when we are in trouble or doubting or struggling, we rely on others to carry us to God. Just as often we must do the carrying to help friends who are struggling We all need others to help us to find God. Even though we may disagree with others and find life in the community occasionally annoying and sometimes scandalous, we need others. Because community is one way we are carried to God, especially when we are too weak to walk to God on our own. Some of the greatest community I've ever been part of is when somebody was flat on their back, emotionally or literally. And sometimes it was me, and sometimes it was a friend. And I've noticed that there have been times in all the years that I've been in ministry and in the church when people say to me, I've never felt so loved in all my life. And never once was that during a happy time of somebody's life. It was always after something tragic, after something unexpected, after something really painful. My guess is you would agree with that. That the greatest times that you've ever noticed that people have said, I've never felt so loved, has been during difficult times. And how can we love each other if we don't let other people know how hard it is? And people can help us, and they they can share with us. And we can learn about our friends, and we can learn about each other by opening up our homes to each other. 
The Bible tells us in verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together. And this is what we can do to begin to know each other, to have genuine hospitality. When was the last time you invited somebody into your home just to get to know them better? This is last Easter. We were, last week we were able to have a couple families over with us for Easter dinner to get to know them better, and they could get to know us better, and we celebrated Jesus' resurrection together. This is an opportunity every week, any time, right today after church. If you go out to lunch, if you're planning to go out to lunch, invite somebody else to go with you to get to know each other, to open up our homes, to open up our time to be together. And not only did that, they had open hands, they had open homes, but they also were open with their hearts, and their hearts were happy. Notice that it says that they had glad and sincere hearts, and this word sincere also means simple hearts. They had glad and happy hearts, and throughout the book of of Acts, we see joy. We see joy in difficult times. We see joy when the men are thrown into prison. We see joy when they're being whipped and scourged. And we see joy when the gospel's being preached. We see joy when people are coming to know Jesus. And we see this in Acts chapter 11, verse 23. Barnabas has been going out and sharing the love of Jesus with other people. And the Bible says that when he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It is through our hearts that we learn happiness. It is through our homes that we learn to love one another. It is through our hands that we give to one another and we share an open fellowship. But thirdly, we notice that they had a center around Jesus. And obviously, this is the core. This is the absolute center of everything. It says that they were daily getting together and they were breaking bread together. They were breaking bread together. We see that also in verse 42. And the breaking of bread was the communion. And they were learning to keep their eyes on Jesus. And this is what we will do if we are part of a Christ-centered community. We will fix our love on Jesus Christ. We will fix our love on Jesus. In verse 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet where? In the temple courts. They went to worship God. They went to give their lives as a sacrifice to God. They went to praise God, it says in verse 47, praising God. And then the Bible says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. When we fix our love on Jesus, our love will spread. When we fix our love on Jesus, our love will not be able to be contained within ourselves. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Let us fix our love on Jesus. And in Hebrews, the word fix means to stare at. To stare at. To keep our eyes on him. Jesus told us what kind of love he wanted us to have, what kind of love he would give to us so we could enjoy. In Matthew 22, verse 37, the Bible says, Jesus replied, 
love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. God wants us to love him with everything that we have. Can you say that that's true of you right now? That your eyes, that your heart is fixed on the love of Jesus? That you love him more than anything else in all the world? You love him more than anything else in all the world? Love him more than any people, anything, any hope, any dream? Once a month, we share communion here, the Lord's Supper. And each time we do, we're celebrating the Lord's love for us. As it says in Hebrews, we fix our eyes on Jesus at communion, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and scorning its shame. And we, we celebrate by taking a remembrance of his body with the bread, a remembrance of his blood in the wine or the juice. And this is our blessing. This is our communion. This is how we, as a fellowship group, we share together in the love of Christ. We fix our eyes on Jesus together. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, Paul's teaching about communion, and he says this, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion? And the word communion is the same word koinonia, fellowship that we see in Acts 2. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion, the koinonia of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. There's something so important for us to understand here as a community. And that is that in communion, we have fellowship with the Father, but we are to do this as a fellowship of people, of a body of Christ together. It is just as important that we have union with the Father as it is that we have union with each other. It is just important that we have unity with the Father as we have unity with each other. And so when we take communion, when we have this time of taking the bread, Paul says it is like we are taking from one loaf, one bread, and that is Jesus. One body, and that is Jesus. We all partake of him We fix our love on Jesus. And when we do that, the word, the love of God will spread. And other people will know of his love as well. Let us fix our love on Jesus. And how then did they experience all of this all together? It simply says, and they prayed. Just two words in prayers. At the end of verse 42. Now these are considered the four pillars of any church. The apostles' doctrine, which is the Bible. Fellowship, koinonia, which is being together. The breaking of bread, which is of communion and remembering the centering of our lives around Jesus. And this fourth one, in prayers. And so we as a community, as a Christ-centered community, we will pray together. The Bible says that then, after they prayed, then fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They had awe. The awe of God came when they prayed together. When they prayed as one. 
when they prayed over the word of God, when they prayed in fellowship, when they prayed as part of the taking of communion. Fear comes to us as we pray. This is the best fear in all the world. This is the kind of fear we should want. This is the fear that wipes away all other fears. It is the fear of God, the awe of God. The word, the word fear here is literally phobos, like we have, you know, when somebody has a fear of something, right? They're, they're phobic. Well, this literally is that word. But it is a good fear. It is the fear of wanting all that God has for us. It is the fear of not wanting to miss all that God has for us. It is the fear of knowing the word of God. It is the fear of not knowing the word of God to have strength of life. It is the fear that other people might know too much about us, but it is also the fear of wanting other people to know us just the way we are so we could know that we really are lovable just the way we are. It is the fear of God that leads us into places that overcome the fear of man. We can't let the fear of man keep us from the presence of God. In Acts chapter 4, verses 31 through 33, we have another passage here about prayer. Now next week, Pastor Jerry's going to give us a sermon, and the whole sermon is about prayer. Right? So you've got to come back and hear that sermon. But as we conclude this sermon, look at these words in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. It says, after they prayed. Now notice that word, after. After they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. This is such a great passage that parallels Acts 2, 42, because it says that after they prayed, all four pillars became alive. It was after they prayed, notice, after they prayed, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they spoke the word of God boldly the apostles' teaching. After they prayed, all the believers were one in heart and mind. After they prayed, they experienced that fellowship and that koinonia. And then it says they shared everything that they had. And then great power, great power continued to go upon the apostles. And much grace was upon them all. We need this sign and we need this wonder in our world today because we live in a sick and stupid culture. We live in a crooked world. We need to pray. You just look at what's happening here in our United States. I love the United States of America, as I'm sure you do too. And, and you just look at what's happening in our election process right now. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican. The Democrats are calling each other liars, the two last candidates. They're calling each other liars. And they're vehemently disagreeing with each other. 
And then on the Republican side, we've got even a greater mess over there, right? They're not only calling each other liars, they're making fun of each other's wives. And, they, you know, this is, like, this is like the same thing. What was this with the church? Let's say that we're having our nominations for deacons and elders, right? And let's say that we have some deacon nominees, and they're calling each other liars out in the open, right? You have our elders nominees, and they're making fun of each other's wives, what kind of church would we have? We wouldn't have any church. Just think if that was happening here, what would it do? It would, it would implode us. It would destroy us. We cannot not think that what's happening in our politics here in the United States is destroying our nation. This is not a political statement. You can just think about it yourself and decide, is that true or not? We need to pray, but there's hope. There's hope because God is in control. The heart of the king is in the hands of the Lord. God is in control. But we must pray. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Nehemiah was a man who cared about his country, the Israelites. Nehemiah was a man who cared about what happened to his nation. Nehemiah cared about his city, Jerusalem, and it was in ruins. You can open up your Bible or you can follow along as I read. But in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, Nehemiah prayed. And I think this prayer parallels what you and I need to pray. And there it says in verse 4, when I heard these words, so Nehemiah is now in Babylon. Okay, he, he is a part of the people that were taken away from Jerusalem. He's in Babylon, but he hears about what's happening back in Jerusalem. And says, when I heard these words, these are the words that was happening in Jerusalem, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the Lord God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Let your ears be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the, in, the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people or at the farthest horizon. I will gather them from there and bring them to the place they have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I want you to pray with me. 
I want us to learn to pray together. I confess that I don't pray enough. But I want you to have permission again to open up your phones. And at whatever time of the day you normally eat lunch, I want you to set an alarm for that time. And if you want to just use your, your calendar, then type in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 4 through 11. And then set your alarm for whatever time you normally eat lunch. And every day when your alarm goes off, every day when your alarm goes off, I just want you to read. That's all. That's all you have to do. It's just read as a prayer, Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, in the context of our nation. And if we do that, it'll begin a process that we'll continue to talk about next week of prayer. And then I'll talk a little bit more about it the week after that. As we must pray for our nation, and we must pray for our church, and we must pray for each other. For it is in this way that we will be this Christ-centered community that Jesus died that we can be. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and for your kindness and your goodness. Thank you for the hope that you give to us of being a community that can change the world as the church of Jesus Christ is meant to do. Help us, Lord, to read your word. Help us, Lord, to have fellowship with one another. Help us, Lord, to have communion with you in the depths of our soul. And help us, Lord, to pray. And in all these things, to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength. We can't do it without you. But we can do it with you. Help us, O Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. sing a song and close in a hymn to continue to remind us of why, why we serve uh, a risen God because of his deep love for us. Let's sing this together.
asks us to do something um, for them, just for this series as we close in prayer each week in the, in, uh, the benediction. I'd like us just to join our hands and complete the aisles and um, actually ask the worship team to come down here and join me. So we'll make a circle just by joining our hands. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is because of what you've done on the cross and of your resurrection that we can be here today. It is because of Christ who gave his life for us that we are able to center our lives on you. We pray that you would build us up and make us into that community that would change our vine that would change and touch Orange County, that would help to change the world for your kingdom's sake. May the God of peace, may the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen, amen. and amen. God bless us.